It's Tuesday, January 4th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. COVID cases continue to rise in the U.S. as the Omicron variant proves to be highly transmissible. The rise in infections has reignited the conversation over masks, which now has some doctors and healthcare systems saying cloth masks may not be enough, recommending that you pair them with surgical masks or upgrade to other options like KN95 masks. Nidhi Subaraman, science reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for what to know. Next, we have seen a rise in violent incidents at schools, both minor and major, everything from fights to gun possession and drug use. On top of other difficulties facing schools, administrators are dealing with tough decisions on how best to respond to disciplinary issues, and advocates fear that suspensions and expulsions could add to problems for vulnerable students. Aaron Einhorn, national reporter at NBC News, joins us for more. Finally, a lot has been made of the metaverse and the blurring of lines between our real-world lives and our digital lives. One of the latest things that we have seen in this realm is getting married, and there could be a lot of perks to having a digital marriage, such as unlimited guests or even out-of-this-world destinations. Stephen Kurtz, features reporter at The New York Times, joins us for one couple's wedding in the metaverse. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. If you are not wearing a surgical grade mask or an N95 mask, the cloth mask is doing nothing. Joining us now is Nidhi Subaraman, science reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Nidhi. Hi, thanks for having me. Wanted to talk about uh, some uh, new developments with uh, what's going on with COVID-19 right now. The Omicron variant has proven to be very transmissible. We're seeing cases soar to new records all over the United States. Obviously, hospitalizations is a, a key thing to pay attention when we talk about it, because those are the worst cases. Those are, those are the most troubling ones. But even those numbers have gone up. I know it's a, a numbers game with a lot of it. Doctors and health experts uh, starting to say, you know, bring masks up in the conversation again. And I know that's a very contentious issue. A lot of people don't want to wear them, things like that. But we're starting to see health experts say that cloth masks might not be enough. Uh, we might need to step up uh, either double mask or get those uh, KN95 masks, the N95 masks, and really step up our game that way. So, Nidhi, tell us a little bit more about it. So, we've seen masks come back up in conversation, chiefly, I think, as you pointed out, because experts are worried about how transmissible Omicron is among people who are not vaccinated, but also even among people who are. So, Though we know that vaccines are, uh, you know, a top form of checking the virus, either from getting sick or seriously, people are looking to other aspects of defenses against the virus, like masks, in order to stop this more transmissible variant to the extent that we can. Yeah, and you know we're seeing the response already come from uh, companies and uh, and other places. For example, my wife she works in an office. They were supposed to go back to work this week after the holiday break. They sent an email out saying nobody's coming back. We're working from home this week, and now the only acceptable mask to wear in the office are the KN95 masks, which they provide them and all. But still, they're they're setting those limits already, saying that you know this is the only thing you can wear for now. That's really interesting. We've heard from doctors who are recommending that people switch over to 
a stronger version of a mask beyond just a cloth mask. I think since the beginning of the pandemic, there has generally been an accepted understanding among experts that the more sophisticated masks offer better protection, but that any kind of masking offers some level of barrier against transmission of this virus. We know and we have known for some time that they are transmitted in droplets when you breathe in and breathe out. And people initially suspected that even the tinier, tinier particles might carry the virus. And since then, it's been confirmed that they do transmit as well in these tiny droplets. And the more robust masks, the KN95 grade or the N95 grade, can better stop those tinier particles from spreading as well. And, you know, with Omicron being so widely prevalent, I think the thinking is that your chance of encountering this is increased. So if you can protect yourself and protect other people, this is something you you should be able to do. Right. In your article, you posted a, an interesting graph that kind of shows, you know, how long it would take to be exposed to COVID. You know, if somebody was infected and wore a mask or didn't wear a mask, vice versa, what kind of mask? And, you know, and a person that was not infected, if they were in the same room, how long it would take? And if nobody's wearing anything, you know, in a matter of 15 minutes, you've been exposed and you could be infected already. You know, if you start wearing these surgical masks and N95 masks, you know, it obviously takes a lot longer. If both people are wearing surgical masks, it could take up to an hour before uh, you, you might be infected. If you're wearing these N95 masks, it's like 25 hours, you know. So the type of mask, the protections they provide, the better they are, obviously, they do help out a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. And some of it has to do with the way they are structured in terms of the layers that they're placed one over the other. Some of the KN95s and some of the surgical masks have a material that is like a plastic that has an electrostatic charge that traps the particles better. So better, you know, stops them from moving around. The other thing that experts point to really as far as making the most effective use of these is really the fit. So I know it's easy to have, if you have your glasses on and your mask underneath and you sort of shift it around so that it doesn't fog things up, but really having a super tight seal around your face is part of making sure that these are working as they ought to, because in as much as you want the particles from being prevented from going through the masks, if they're coming up over your nose or, you know, in gaps, that is something that one needs to be watching out for as well. What is the official guidance from the CDC right now on this? Because, you know, they want anybody to mask up any way as possible just to help out as much. But they have even said, you know, maybe double masking is a smart choice. Yeah, I think there are some experts who would like the CDC to come out pretty specifically and say this mask over that mask and say that some masks are better than others or even recommend people use a certain kind of mask. The time this came up recently is uh, when the CDC changed its isolation guidelines for people who've been infected with COVID-19. And they proposed that they can come away from isolation if they're asymptomatic after five days, potentially, but keep a mask on for a certain period of time after that to keep protection at its max. Nidhi Subaraman, science reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Let's <laughs> go.
there's extensive research showing that the consequences for kids who are removed from the classroom for disciplinary reasons, it can be extreme. You know, one suspension leads to another suspension. You miss class, and then when you come back, you're behind. Maybe you act out. Joining us now is Aaron Einhorn, national reporter at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Thanks for having me. I want to talk about an issue uh, we covered previously on the podcast, actually, a rise in uh, uh, school disruptions, fights, things like that, violence, issues minor and a lot bigger. Schools have been reporting an increase in seeing these things. And uh, a lot of them are pointing to the pandemic, obviously, uh, maybe a lack of social maturity for a lot of these kids, uh, not knowing how to handle new situations. For a lot of them, they were doing remote learning for two years. So just put yourself in a new situation two years later. A lot of them are struggling to adjust. And with the conversation revolving about this now is how to react to that. A lot of people are saying, you know, suspensions, expulsions might not be the way. Uh, it could put the kids on a wrong path. Other school districts are figuring out other ways to handle these disciplinary actions. So, Aaron, tell us a little bit more about what we're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I mean, it's no secret. I think educators and parents and youth themselves are all seeing all the different ways that the pandemic has affected their lives and their mental health and their physical health and all kinds of other issues and their social development, as you mentioned. So if you normally would learn conflict management skills from your peers in seventh grade and, you know, you missed all of seventh grade because you were home remote and now suddenly you're, you know, you missed much of eighth grade and, and now suddenly you're in ninth grade, you're in a new environment. And it can be really overwhelming. And so a lot of schools are experiencing, you know, it's hard to say, actually, because we don't have good numbers, you know, suspension, expulsion, things like that, crimes in schools. All of those are are numbers that we won't really be able to see until until next year at the soonest. So, you know, anecdotally, I reached out to a lot of educators and asked them what they're seeing. And, you know, while it's not universal, there's absolutely districts that, that, you know, have good plans in place or or maybe just got lucky for whatever reason or... (laughs) didn't do as much time remote last year and so aren't having as extreme of a response. But, you know, educators are absolutely reporting that they're seeing, you know, more violence, more drug use, you know, more other kinds of problems. And they're really struggling with how to respond because on one hand, you want to give kids some grace. Some of this is a trauma response. You know, on the other hand, you got to keep your building safe. Right. And, you know, if there's kids, you know, going in, you know, brawling each other and beating each other up, they need to have some kind of response that's going to keep yeah. their building safe. And what we're seeing is what is that response now, right? So a lot of them are doing these suspensions and, and whatnot. A lot of these other districts are, are doing some new stuff. As you mentioned, some of these students might need a little grace, a little handling and some a teaching moment, right? So they're doing these things called reset centers where they can kind of educate them on, you know, what they did wrong, how to approach these things. So there's kind of these two ways to go about it right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, and this is this has been going on for a long time. I mean, certainly over the last five, ten years, there's been more of a push to get away from the traditional forms of student discipline. You know, the suspension and the expulsion that we all remember from when we were in high school. There's extensive research showing that the consequences for kids who are removed from the classroom for disciplinary reasons, it can be extreme. You know, one suspension leads to another suspension. You miss class, and then when you come back, you're behind. Maybe you act out. That leads to other problems and ultimately could lead to the child dropping out of school, ending up in the criminal justice system. You know, they talk a lot about the school-to-prison pipeline. And some schools in recent years have been 
making changes. You know, they talk about restorative justice, like programs that, you know, enable kids to kind of, you know, mediate their disputes or or better understand the consequences of their actions rather than just removing them from the classroom, which hurts them academically, hurts them socially. And also some kids see it as a reward, like, hey, I'm going to go home for a few days and play video games. And <laughs> right. so, you know, it, 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 it is neither a punishment since the kids are like, awesome, I don't have to go to school. You know, and so it's problematic. And so schools, you know, have been sort of trending in that direction in recent years, but that could be expensive. You know, it might require special, you know, staff that's specially trained. That's one of those very specific things right now that is the problem we're seeing everywhere, right? The lack of resources. So the more staff you need to create and, and run one of these programs is just not there. And obviously this is affecting the students. The educators are kind of caught in the middle with having to make quick decisions, decisive decisions on what to do. And still kind of the overall thing, it seems like, is just nobody knows what the right way to go about it is, how to, how to handle it right now. You know, a lot of districts, uh, you know, received this COVID relief money this year and expressed an interest in really investing in mental health supports and hiring social workers and hiring counselors. But in a lot of parts of this country, those were shortage areas before the pandemic. And now it's significantly more so. And you need teacher's aides, you know, to, you know, not just monitor the hallways, but support students with special needs and things like that so that they don't have some kind of, you know, outburst or, or, you know, that their needs are being met in school in other ways. So if you can't hire enough teacher's aides, you're not going to be able to effectively, you know, control the situation in schools. And so, you know, we hear about this teacher shortage, right, and or the staff shortage in schools and in, in all kinds of institutions. And then, you know, and everybody's stressed out and the parents are stressed out and the kids are stressed out. And you have all the politics of the moment and the mask <laughs> fights and the fights about critical race theory. And that's just creating all this tension in the school at a time when the school doesn't have, isn't fully staffed to respond, you know, in an effective way. And it's just kind of all colliding in a really difficult way for schools. Aaron Einhorn, national reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for drawing some attention to this issue. They streamed sort of a simulcast their wedding in the metaverse as well. So they had real guests at a country club in New Hampshire, and then they had a, a whole host of guests who were watching and following along as avatars in the metaverse. Joining us now is Stephen Kurtz, features reporter at the New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's talk a little bit about the metaverse. Uh, it's just a, a fascinating idea of what's to come. Uh, you know, so we've done a bunch of stories already uh, already on it for the podcast. Uh, people are saying, you know, this is going to be the next generation of the internet, really. And we, we even did a story about how companies are buying up real estate in the metaverse. This story is a little different, uh, but it seems like a natural extension of what we've seen throughout the pandemic already, getting married in the metaverse. So using avatars in a virtual world and, you know, making the ceremony happen that way. So Stephen, tell us a little bit about it. It actually was inspired by an earlier piece I had done for the Times about NFT uh, real estate um, and selling real estate in the metaverse. Someone had designed a house called the Mars House that sold for an absurd amount of money. And in the interview, she had mentioned to me that, you know, you can hold events, the house could become an event space and you could do events in the metaverse. And she gave as an example, holding a wedding in the metaverse. And, you know, so we thought about this and, and we thought that was an intriguing idea. 
and went around searching and, and see if we could find a bride and groom or, or a couple who had gotten married in the metaverse. And so we found this, we found this couple who had a real wedding back in uh, September and simultaneously they streamed sort of a simulcast their wedding in the metaverse as well. So they had real guests at a country club in New Hampshire and then they had a, a whole host of guests who were watching and following along as avatars in the metaverse. And you you made an important distinction, right? They had kind of this hybrid thing. So they got married in real life, and then they did this also in the metaverse, in the virtual space. Uh, You know, having a wedding only in the virtual space does not mean you're actually married. You still have to do it in person. So that's an important distinction for them. It's not legal yet to get married solely in the metaverse. And this couple was really, I don't know if they're the first ever to get married in the metaverse, it's quite possible they are, and to do it this way, certainly at this level where they really, you know, it was it was well thought out and planned and designed. But, you know, they, they work for this real estate company that also owns a company called Verbella that creates virtual worlds for work and education and learning. So they were early adopters. They met as their avatars at a company function because this company does a, you know, this real estate company does a lot of their work virtually and remotely. And then they met in real life. Yeah. So they were kind of perfect candidates to do this. You know, it, it, it might seem silly to many thinking about getting married or having the, the ceremony like this, but you know, I myself attended a wedding ceremony over zoom for, you know, during the pandemic for uh, some friends that were getting hitched and, and, you know, a lot of people couldn't make it out there, couldn't travel at that time. So everybody just tuned into the live stream and, and watched them get married that way. So this is kind of a natural extension of that. It seems like, and you know, there's a lot of, you know, big ideas, right? You can get a guest list that is in the thousands. Really, there's no cap on something like that. Gift registries can feature NFTs, which are all the rage right now. Or, you know, you can make the wedding happen anywhere in space, as you mentioned in the article. Now, one of the things I want to ask about is cost. How much would something like this cost? And although the company didn't say exactly how much it would, the Gagnons kind of estimated something. And it's pretty expensive still. It is. I mean, they, you know, the company was cagey about giving a specific number. The Gagnon said that the event that they had would have cost around $30,000 had they been paying. Now, their company <laughs> That's like you know, the price. did this for them for free. That's it's quite expensive. That's the price you know. of a normal wedding, even, you know? With- <laughs> no, it, it, it is. It is. You know, it, here's the thing. I mean, in their case, and in many cases early on, you need a software developer, just like you just like a couple getting married often turns to a wedding planner. If you're going to have a customized wedding in the metaverse where you have input about the kind of clothing and the flowers and the tablescapes and the entertainment and all the things that go into a wedding, you'd need a software engineer to design those elements for you. One of the things I, I brought up in the piece was that I think as time goes on, there's going to be a kind of an off the rack version right. of all of this, you know. So if I was, if I, right now, if I was a flower, a flower designer, or if I, if I had a company where I designed wedding dresses, I would be creating NFT versions of these and having them in a store, and so future couples could just go and pick off the shelf. Well, I like these flowers. I like this tablescape. Right. I like this dress, and 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 buy them that way rather than having them custom designed. Stephen Kurtz, features reporter at the New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. 
Hey, thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.